Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hey, everybody. Good morning. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, and uh, thank you so much, everybody, for joining us. It's this morning. It's Wednesday. I'm sorry. It's Thursday, January 9th. Week is running away with me. The first full week of 2020. Thank you so much. It's Down to Earth with Harriet Kimmick, and we're going to have a pretty down-to-earth conversation this morning. And it concerns the fact that there are a lot of inmates who are dying in Mississippi prisons, and we want to know why. We're reading an article on the New York Times that we're going to post later so that we all can see exactly what is going on. It's just crazy, just simply crazy. Just a few months ago, we did an article, we did a show on uh, why inmates are dying in Oklahoma prisons, and it's centered around the fact that Oklahoma had taken the bold step of releasing nonviolent offenders to reduce their prison population. And I'm wondering if that is what Mississippi will do. Well, they have a conservative, an ultra-conservative, Republican governor who is about to be inaugurated and who Mississippi is one of the poorest states in the nation. They're ultra conservative. That means they're tough on fiscal policies. And since because of their history, they really are not given to viewing people in prisons as part of the general population or are deserving of any kind of mercy. So there really isn't much hope that anybody is holding out about what will happen in Mississippi, but we're gonna talk about that. But first, let me touch on a few things that are happening around town. Uh, Today in Detroit is Back the Blue Detroit. So hopefully you have seen this already and you're wearing blue. I'm wearing blue, even my necklace is blue. So just in case anybody from the Detroit police or the state police are watching, I am supporting Back the Blue. So I wanna say officially that the Exodus Foundation and the Down to Earth podcast supports Back the Blue, right? So it might be happening in your city I gather it's a national event, so it might be happening in your city. So they're asking to support the local uh, police department. Now, we understand that relationships between the public and the police are sometimes fractious. We get that. And sometimes in some spaces that there hasn't been a healthy respect on both sides. So in those scenarios, I don't believe that there's going to be a lot of support for the men and women in blue, but understandably in some communities. For instance, here in Detroit, generally the public and the Detroit police enjoy a relationship uh, that is devoid of any kind of issues. The police here tend to be, when they show up, they tend to be very attentive to the needs of the community. And the Detroit police, they do really try hard to listen to what people on the ground are saying. So shout out to the Detroit Police Department right? The men and women in blue, thank you for your service, your bravery. And I hope the surrounding cities don't continue to, uh, <laughs> to, to take your recruits after you've trained them for a couple of years. <laughs> it's quite something else. So we back the blue, whether the blue are in Detroit or whether they're in other cities surrounding Detroit, we back them nonetheless, right? It just takes you to the wider question of are men and women in service. Uh, we saw images over the weekend of troops being deployed, not just in Atlanta, it was showing up on my timeline a lot, where uh, troops were being tro- deployed and were leaving for overseas missions. We still want to support them and send a shout out. Many of us have relatives in the service. I think I still do. I have cousins who are in the Navy. I'm not sure about the Army, but I think there are still people in the Navy. And we just want to send a shout out to, to them, right? Uh, we also know that uh, since Friday or so, we're hearing stuff flying overhead. So the air bases 
the bases that the military bases around our communities are becoming a little bit more active. And we want to say a shout out to the men and women in the military. Thank you for your service. You're incredibly brave to sign up, knowing the risk, but still doing it anyhow, that touches me. You know what the risks are. You know that you are likely to step into combat. You could lose your life from the first minute, but you still do it anyhow. Thank you for being more brave than the rest of us. Right? I also wanted to uh, say this morning as well that... um, while we're talking about that, I don't want to inject any kind of somberness into this, but it, it, I think we need to sometimes put ourselves in the shoe of someone else. Recently here in the Detroit area, a police officer was shot. It was just around Thanksgiving uh, in an attempt to rescue a 16-year-old girl whom the family had complained was being targeted, had been targeted by a criminal. It sounded like a criminal mastermind. I mean, he just preyed on this young girl, and out of the blue just wanted to capture her. So her family were begging the police to take him off the street. And in doing so, a brave police officer showed up at the home of the child when they learned that the man was there. And when they showed up, he killed the, he killed the cop. That's something that we haven't healed from. We're still in the process of healing because that policeman's bravery. He laid his life down so that young girl could be free, walking into a situation, knowing that the odds are he probably wouldn't come out, but still doing it anyway. So we still, I encourage all of us, they don't always do what we want them to do. You call the police and they don't always show up on time when they do show up, but when they do show up, they do respond. But I want us all to think about what it costs them. Right now in Detroit, I learned yesterday that there are only 2,400 police officers to serve a city of such a size. That doesn't make any sense, does it? In fact, even with recruiting and people graduating from the academy, there are only going to be 2,800 police officers. That's not enough. So I'm asking the mayor to look into that. If you want to reduce crime, if that is your goal, then you need to put more police officers so that those who are there are not stressed. Think about it. If you were a police officer or if you were married to one, right, or if your brother or your sister were a police officer, understand that every time they get up in the morning to leave, they might not come back home. And I think a degree of empathy is necessary. They're still human. Forget about the uniform. That's a human being in the uniform. That human being has children. They have hopes. They have dreams. They have desires. They want to live. They want to go out to eat. They want to have fun just like you and I. They want to take their family on vacation. They want to go shopping. Mm, Something to think about there, right? And so when you see them, apply a degree of empathy. What does it take for you to say hello? So if you see them out today, Give them a shout out or a wave or flash your lights to show them that, hey, we the citizens see you and we, we appreciate you. Just appreciate them, right? I know I have some favorites in the in the police department, you know, the 6th precinct, the 11th precinct, and the 12th precinct. They're my all-time favorite. I know, you know, have you ever walked into a police department? It's kind of scary because you're surrounded by a lot of people with a lot of guns. And this is me. Okay, so I'm here. Okay, I'm going to act like it doesn't bother me, (laughs) but it incredibly does. So think about it, right? And we won't touch on all the other stuff. We know there's some stuff that goes on, but by and large, they perform a job, and we support them, and we back them. We do need them to maintain law and order because there are some of us, not everybody believes in maintaining law and order, but we do need the police, and we want to thank them. If you see them today, flash your lights, wave, or you can just hit them up on social media at the Detroit Police, or just in whatever comments you're making, just have the hashtag back the blue. Right? Right. Well, talking about this and that, one of the things we're going to talk about today, we're continuing our discussions 
uh, are you Democrats? Why don't you tell Pelosi about it? What are the House Democrats doing about this issue? I don't know. Frankly, I don't know. <laughs> Why do you think I'm a Democrat? Do I look like a Democrat? What does Democrats look like? I don't know what they're doing. It's not my discussion. But eventually it will. Criminal justice reform is not my platform. I leave that to the specialists and to the people who are who have a bone in the in the fight, right? People who have been incarcerated and have experienced it, or people who have relatives who are in it. I'm just discussing it as a concerned citizen that people who have committed a crime and have been sentenced and who are in prison, regardless of what they have done, I don't like you. As far as I'm concerned, you kill someone, you need to go to jail. You rob someone, you rape someone, you molest a child, you need to go to jail. That's how I look at it. But at the same time, while they're in jail, whether they're waiting to be uh, uh, commuted or whether they're, they're waiting to be uh, on death row, while they're in jail, we're, we still have a humanity problem, right? We're not animals, and they're not animals. So if we have a prison system that captures the guilty among us and those who have committed violent crime, then we need to ensure that the circumstances and environment in which they are are humane. That's all I'm saying, right? We need to make sure because we do have a system to punish and capture those who have committed crime, right? So I'm going to give you, tell you some stuff that I came across reading this article about Mississippi state prisons. Now, we've got to put this into context that Mississippi is a state in the South. And Mississippi is also one of the poorest states in the nation. It, in fact, not one of. It is the poorest state in the nation. It ranks low on every federal chart, on every kind of circumstance. They rank the lowest all the time. The worst prison in Mississippi the federal penitentiary is called Parchman. Parchman was established in the 1920s. That's 100 years ago in the 20th century by a white governor, obviously a Jim Crow governor on the Jim Crow laws. And it was designed to punish blacks who were running away to freedom. Can you dig it? And it was designed around, of all things, a cotton plantation. So what blacks were running away from in the South where they were picking cotton and not getting paid for it, and they were running from it, if they were captured at the time the Ku Klux Klan was the enforcer and was the local police force, if they were captured, they were taken to parchment where they were forced to pick cotton. That's what parchment was designed for. And according to the governor who, who, who created that, He said what? What did he say? He said that it was designed to for the criminal Negroes who are threatening the white man's home. And I say that with all brevity in 21st century, right? So Parchman has that history of being institutionalized racism. And so that continues to the present day. Now, there are a couple of things that we have to take in mind, you know, over the years and so on. And and let me preface it by saying the war on drugs, by now we have learned, didn't make any sense. All it did was incarcerate people who could have been ameliorated, people who could have made all of us have had relatives who were picked up for drug possession and drug use and have ended up being incarcerated with a prison sentence that has destroyed them for life. Now, even conservative lawmakers, even Republican lawmakers across the country are looking at how the war on drugs has amplified the problem of in prison. It has created a burden on state budgets, right? And it has also done what? Ruined families. So even your white kids, your white son or daughter got picked up because they were smoking weed or smoking marijuana or doing meth or something. Seriously? You lock people up and throw them away for a minimum sentence of 10 to 15 years. You've ruined someone's life, right? For drug possession and drug use. 
because we were in the war on drugs, as if incarcerating the user was going to stop the war. Didn't make sense then, but nobody was listening to the advocates who were saying don't go there because all they were seeing was if we lock up the people who are using it. They didn't think about the people who were funding it, the pipeline. Have you ever really looked at the industry of drugs? Let me just digress here for a second. Do you really, really think that it's the guy who's selling it on the corner who is the problem? He doesn't have the means. You have to look at the distributor. Who is funding this? Who is allowing this? Where are they getting the money? Where is the drug dealer putting his money? Why does he come to court with the most expensive lawyers? So who is backing him? That's really the problem. So a couple of things happened in Mississippi that has uh, blossomed and has created this huge prison population was one, the war on drugs that incarcerated people who were nonviolent offenders. And secondly, guess what else? The three strikes law. We have that in Michigan. They've now taken it out. So you have your uh, person who got caught with weed but can't give up his addiction. Three strikes and he is incarcerated. 10 to 15. Sucks. Now, as I've said before, People who commit violent crime need to go to jail. If you believe that you need to kill someone, you need to go to jail. If you believe that robbing someone is the way you make money, you need to go to jail. People who rape need to spend some time and they need to go to jail. Some of them need to go away for life. Some of them don't need to come back, right? There are people who are violent offenders. They need to stay in jail. The problem is separating nonviolent offenders, and that's really easy to do. Look at someone's uh, uh, rap sheet. You're in here for drug possession. Recently, the state of Oklahoma com- commuted 400 sentences. Remember we did that show, right? They set people free who were nonviolent offenders. They didn't just say, oh, it's all hunky-dory, and we're all going to sit out in the sunshine and sing kumbaya. They did speak to them. They did say, don't come back here. They did say, if you come back here, you're going to finish out the previous sentence and you're going to serve the new one. This is your second chance. In Mississippi, they probably need to look at something. As a matter of fact, the statistics are that in Mississippi, if they were to reasonably reduce prison sentences for nonviolent offenders, immediately it would reduce the prison population by 2,000 inmates. Isn't that amazing? That is completely amazing. So I want to give you some stuff, apart from the humane part of it, where the story is told from a mother's perspective. Her son is in there for armed robbery. Okay, so you used a gun to hold someone up? Why didn't you go get a job at McDonald's that pays $5 an hour or 7 or $9 an hour like the rest of us? That's what we all do, right? We don't go around brandishing guns and holding people up as a way of making a living. But the story is told from her perspective. Her son is doing 13 years, and he was complaining about how the prison conditions were. Like, you know, there were rats and mold, and uh, he was eating bologna and a packet of mustard. As far as I'm concerned, prison is prison. It's not a country club. If you want to have some autonomy and choice in what you eat, you shouldn't go to prison, right? You and I... We love our freedom, so we don't break the law because we want to have choices over when we go to the bathroom, when we see the light of day, when we wake up, when we go to sleep, and open our own refrigerator, right? So as far as I'm concerned, complaining about the prison condition is moot. But what got to me was the gang violence and the institutionalized racism that still exists. The riots, the disorder, where are the prison guards? Are they just standing by and watching all of this unfold? Are they creating environments in which this should happen? So here are some pointers I want you to take away from this. Gang warfare, riots, disorder, and murder are common. Just last week, five inmates have died to escape. I don't know where they thought they were going to. Representative Benny Johnson asked the Justice Department to open a civil rights investigation. 
And here's the thing. When you go to prison, if you want to survive, you have to join a gang, right? So we've got to, uh, we've got to look at where this problem is. Now, in Mississippi, they have a unique situation. There are a lot of people who are older now who perhaps went in in the 1980s. Remember that? The war on drugs. Anybody remember President Reagan with the war on drugs? Right? And a lot of people went into prison in, in the early 1980s in Mississippi. And they went in for drugs, drug possession, drug use, right? Those people are aging out now. They're grandfathers now. And their grandmothers and grandfathers, they're aging out. They're nonviolent offenders. Why can't they be released? It would reduce the burden on the state to provide services because prison is expensive, right? It would reduce the burden on state budgets, but it would also create less trauma within families. It's hard to explain to a grandchild that grandpa is in jail because he smoked some weed, especially in today's world when smoking weed is is legal in Colorado. So I wonder what happens in Colorado prisons with people who went to jail for for drug possession, but now it's legal. It's legal to smoke weed. Do you see we have a juxtaposition there? We need to be clear. Sometimes I think we're acting as if we're confused in our policymaking. We are acting as if we're not thinking things clearly. Are you hearing me? Are we really thinking these things out? Somebody's asking me why I don't ask Nancy Pelosi. Well, I don't know if that's a problem. I don't know what their platform is. I really don't engage with them. I'm talking to you, the public, and asking you to start a groundswell and to think differently. If you know somebody who ended up going to jail, right? If you know someone who ended up going to jail for drug possession, don't you find yourself asking the question, really, especially for marijuana? Don't you ask yourself, like, really? Did they kill someone? Right? I'm not talking about the criminal who goes down to the, the local store or who goes into a big box store and brandishes a gun or who goes into a bank of all the things with all the surveillance cameras. You've got to wonder about people. Are they out of their minds? Right? That you're going to rob a bank today. You need to go sit down for some time and think about your life. Do you value your freedom? But we're looking at people who are nonviolent offenders. And we got to look at, see, you, we come from different perspectives. And we come to this issue based on who we are. As a person of color, I'm intimately familiar with how disproportionate the number of colored people are in prison. Because they seem to be the persons who are attacked the most by the, by, by the system, Right? And they also suffer disproportionately from economic advantages or disadvantages. Therefore, it creates a likely climate for them to commit a crime. Now, that is not excusing it, but that's a familiarity. Now, what do you do? Now, like I say all the time, we all have options. We all have choices. The same degree of economic disadvantage that someone else of my ethnicity might encounter, I encounter too. I just have a different, <clears throat> excuse me, approach to it. I choose not to break the law. Maybe I'm terrified. I just don't, right? Someone else, it's an easier way out. Now, those people need to be put away because as a society, we can't be criminal. I don't want to live in a society where criminals run free. I don't think any of us would last long. But at the same time, though, we have to look at getting the prison system not to be the catch-all to rehabilitate people. When people emerge from prison, they're broken, they're traumatized. Some people go into prison and they're raped for things like drug possession. Now, we need to make the distinction. Now, in some of these uh, more conservative states, seriously, even Republican lawmakers are looking at maybe we're too harsh in handing down prison sentences. So they're looking at relieving it because they themselves know someone or it has been brought to their attention that someone they know was incarcerated for drugs. So they're looking at it realistically. It's the 21st century. We're all changing. 
maybe in the 1980s, the war on drugs was necessary. I don't know. I don't know what they were thinking at the time. Maybe they thought you had to have the three, three strikes law. Maybe they thought that it would deter people from committing crime. Maybe that's what it was. It, was a, it served as a deterrent that would uh, make people not want to commit crime. And you and I are looking at each other like, seriously? Somebody who has a compulsion to want to smoke marijuana is going to find a way to do it. Somebody who has a compulsion to do meth is going to find a way to do it, even when they come out of jail. And this explains in a lot why the recidivity rate is so high. Because when people come out of jail, right, having served time, they went in as nonviolent offenders, they come out, right, sometimes their family systems don't want them back, right? And then they come out of jail and they emerge from jail and they don't have any resources. I know I'm not going to get a lot of response from this because a lot of you are saying it's not my problem, but it is. Because when people do come out of jail having served time, sometimes they don't have anywhere else to go. They commit crime and they end up right back in the system. I don't know about anybody else, but the last thing I want is if I'm driving and the blue lights show up behind me, and they run my tags, I don't want to have anything that I have to worry about. And I pray that that is not your story or anybody else's story, but it is what it is. But what about those people who did have marijuana in their possession and who went to jail or meth or whatever it was, cocaine, crack, heroin, whatever it was, but they're still nonviolent. That means they didn't commit, you know, they didn't uh, beat anyone or kill anyone or shoot anyone. And I don't know if, if, if we still are going to look at it and we're going to send people to prisons en masse, if we're going to separate the prison into violent and nonviolent offenders. It seems like once you get caught up in the system, you're at the mercy of the warden. The warden just puts everybody in regardless. So you put somebody who was smoking some weed and you put him in there with somebody who's doing 20 to life for murdering his girlfriend or, or murdering a child. I don't even want to talk about stuff like that because it's so hurtful, right? And, and this is the context in which we're having this discussion today. We're having this discussion based on nonviolent offenders, people who went to prison not because they committed a violent act. That's the, that's the real crux of the matter. I'm not talking about the people who are there because they did wrong, they hurt someone, Right? I'm not talking about those. That's a different context and a different subtext. I'm talking about for, for weed possession. Uh, last year on our podcast, I interviewed someone who uh, had been to jail, and she it was a drug possession charge. At the time, she was enrolled in college. She was going, you know, she was about to start college. When she emerged from jail, she could not finish college because she could not apply for FAFSA. Her life is ruined. She can't get a job because she can't pass a criminal background check, right? She can only work in some spaces, and those opportunities are few and far between. She has the rest of her life to look forward to, all because of a drug possession. She was a nonviolent offender. Even while she was incarcerated, she didn't join again. She just said she just kept her head down and stayed out of the stuff, right? But it has traumatized her and destroyed her life. Now, if I hadn't heard her story, I would never have known what it felt like or what it sounded like. But I listened to the story, and I was amazed. And I was like, so you really can't do anything once you come out of jail. We've got to look at that. We've, we've got to look at ameliorating some circumstances. I know it, it, it sounds good. We're all arrogant and we, we tend to look at people. I'm better than you because I've never committed a crime kind of thing. But as you get older, you start to realize that there is such a thing as grace and mercy. You begin to realize that there are some spaces where people actually do need mercy. For somebody who went to prison because you smoked a blunt, as far as I'm concerned, if somebody is doing drugs, they're more harmful to themselves than they are to me. Doing drugs means you're destroying yourself. I don't encourage anybody, and I've never been someone, I never have entertained the idea of encouraging anyone who puts stuff 
into your body or put substances into your body that will hurt you. I don't believe in it. I believe you're destroying your body. But at the same time, there are people who say they use it for recreational purposes. It's no different than the opioid epidemic, where people take antidepressants because it gives them a high, or they take Percocet or something else and mix it with something else because it gives them this supreme high that just makes them feel that they can fly. I don't believe in that. I don't believe in that. I believe that we all need to be conscious of the choices we make. And that if you use drugs, I don't know about anybody else, but aren't you, if you work for someone, aren't you, don't they do random drug tests? Like if they suspect that you smoke weed? Recently I was at the mall and I was in a store and someone walked past me. And boy, I could have been cooked just by the smell. That is grossly irresponsible. Because marijuana possession, I don't know about anyone else, but in the state of Michigan, it's still a felony. So if they find you and you have a certain amount with it, they still are going to lock you up. But yet people are driving down the street, I was told, smoking and having marijuana on them. This is why I tell my children, don't ride in people's cars because you don't know what they have. And if the blue lights show up, they're likely to drop stuff in, on your possession and boom, there you are. Your life is over. You see what I'm saying? I give my daughter a car to drive. My youngest daughter, my oldest daughter has her own car, right? I make sure I educate them and talk to them about these things. It's called avoidance. I want them to be free for the rest of their lives, and I want them to never have anything to do with prison. My oldest daughter is an attorney. She's about to take the bar, right? And as far as I'm concerned, her job is to be on this side of the law forever and a day. My, my youngest daughter plans to go study medicine. Her, her job is to be on this side as long as possible. We all face temptations. I have had some of the most uh, troubling times that anybody could experience. I, as a person of color in my skin, in my ethnicity, have suffered from white supremacy, economic oppression. Yes, I have experienced it all. But at the same time, it did not, it never occurred to me to break the law or to go do something. It never occurred to me to do that. So we all have choices to make. I've been in spaces where, and I've been in situations where I'm like, no, I get why people smoke and take a drink. But as for me, I have this thing in me that I'll never do that because at the end of the day, just adds to the problems, it doesn't help. Right? And still, some people still think it's recreational. Some people even smoke weed to lose weight. A lot of people now do recreational marijuana in the comfort of their homes because they're told that it will help them lose weight. Well, good for you. It helps with pain. It helps you to cope with stress. Just don't come out on the street and get in your car after you've done that, though, because that's where lingers. Right? People are now taking it recreationally. They eat it in a brownie. Or if they don't want to smoke it, they do it in other ways. As far as I'm concerned, people are going to find a way to indulge their appetite. Right? I don't know that we can police that. And frankly, I think leave them alone. We live in a free society. Let it be. But where those encounters or where those indulgences lead to a prison sentence, I think that's where we as a society need to take some responsibility. And we need to look at, well, how violent is this person? What is their propensity for violence? I've heard criminal justice advocates say that a person who has done more than 20 years and who is now sick, there are a lot of sick prison inmates because, let's face it, they're not exactly living the life of Riley where they're, you know, exercising or eating well. They haven't had good health care. Have you ever looked, you can tell someone who has been in jail, look at their teeth, right? They don't have good health care. So for those of us who are saying, well, they have uh, meals every day and they have health care, they really don't. So a lot of people who have served a life sentence are still in jail but they are still incarcerated, but they have severe health challenges. They are facing life sentences on an illness that is likely to take them out of here. Some of those people need to be released. It will reduce the prison population, right? Because they're no longer a threat to society. 
but in, in, in looking at the prison population, currently there are 19,000 inmates in Mississippi, right? It was 22,000, but they looked at releasing some people. I hope they continue that trend and get rid of the folks, get the people out of there who are nonviolent offenders. They went to jail on a drug charge. They went to jail on not paying child support. I don't know if we can ever teach people responsibility. That's something that they're taught at home, that you have to be responsible. You can't just have children and not take care of them. Slapping a prison sentence on them is counterproductive because the child is still not going to get the support from the father. So tax him to hell. If he earns a dollar, all of it goes to child support. Make it so that when he does appear in court, he has to work. If he doesn't work, well, if you don't work, we're going to lock you up. And that's what they do. So people are like, I'm not going to support my children. Well, you're worthless in the first place. How can you have children and not take care of them? Nobody should tell anybody that. Nobody should tell anybody that if you are having sex with multiple people, you should wear, you should make sure that you, you have safe sex. Nobody should have to tell anybody that. That's something you as an individual need to take control of. Nobody should tell you, don't get in a car if you are drunk, stone cold drunk. No, nobody should tell you that. That's something you should know. I don't know what has happened to us. We have lost our moral compass and our moral guiding light. Like, it's just free for all. Do what you want, when you want, wherever you want. People feel like they're free, so they're going to drive down the street with weed in there. People feel like they're so free they can make fun of other people while driving around with guns in their cars and firing guns at transformers and firing guns up in the air. And you don't think there's going to be a day of accountability? Are you kidding me? Right? We still have accountability. That's why there's the justice, the criminal justice system. Right? And that criminal justice system, because it's <laughs> that criminal justice system is there. Right? We need to be able to look at this objectively. So I'm asking Mississippi lawmakers, if you have nonviolent offenders in your, in your prisons, let them out. Save the space for the people who believe that they want to hurt you and I. Save the space for the people who continue to hurt children indiscriminately and the people who continue to want to walk into a facility and hold the folks up. I kid you not. Let me see what my friends here are saying. Take a life and God will take yours, right? I don't know about that. That's what someone said. I didn't say that, (laughs) right? But we have to perhaps look at how did, uh, when are we going to end this war on drugs? Is it over? Have we ended it? And in some states, we have to look at the three strikes law. The three strikes law seem to have been formed because as a deterrent. But what it did was it sent young, stupid people to jail, and they're sitting in jail for life, thinking about something as mediocre and as silly as driving around with weed in your hand or smoking weed or the cop pulls you over and you're blowing weed in his face. Like, seriously? People do do silly things like that. Then, of course, there are people who are in jail for mental health, because apparently we don't believe in taking care of people who are mentally unwell. So they act out because their hormones fluctuate, right? There's no health care to capture them because they took the budget out of that. There, there are very few uh, health care, uh, mental health institutions that specialize in taking care of people who have mental issues. So what happens is they get sick, they act out, and we call the police. The police, the jail becomes the catch-all. They're in jail. The police hold them for 24 hours or 36 hours, depending on the jurisdiction, to see if they, you know, will calm down. And then they let them back out. So they capture them again. They capture them again. The third time, they end up thrown into a den of violence. Because the guy whom likely they end up in the cell with is somebody who kills people. Right? We've got to look at how we're sent, who are we sending to prison? Are we, we need to make sure 
that violent offenders go to jail. Those people who like to pull over you and I, you know, those people who like to hold up people, that carjacking thing is is carjacking. The people who like to rape children, the people who like to rape women, the people who like to beat up their girlfriends and their wives and their baby mamas, those people need to go spend some time. They need active rehabilitation that only comes through sitting somewhere where their liberties are confined. But see people who smoke a blunt and people who use meth, they're hurting themselves. The hurt that they do to themselves is greater. They're breaking down their own bodies. They're shortening their own lifespan. There's so many people right now who are coming out of jail and they have they can't go back to school, can't get a good job, can't rent an apartment. We have created a society of criminals. And you know who who is this, you know who they're coming after? You and I. That's whom they have access to. You and I. Right? So I need your help. I, I want us to I saw something on uh Instagram recently where someone was asking uh, a celebrity to look into, to start talking about what happens in a prison. I can't remember which state it was. And the gang war in prisons is unprecedented. The rioting and the disorder, it's almost, you have to look at, when when I read about it, I said, wow, why are the guards standing back? And then some years ago, I knew someone, I had met someone who worked as a, a healthcare professional in a prison. And when she tells you what happens, you really have to see it from the inside. It changed my perspective. Right? But there is gang warfare in prison. It's, it's almost like you, somebody goes to prison. You don't have a choice. You have to join a gang. If you don't, they're going to kill you. Prison is inherently violent. We should save it for violent offenders. Let them go play with one another and go deal with one another. The people who are smoking and so on, leave them out of the system. We, we, have, ter- we have used criminalization in the society to criminalize people too much. Recently, I heard about here in Michigan, they're amending the laws that insurance companies can't just uh, have people locked up for not having... Uh, or people are not going to be able to go to jail now for not having insurance or whatever, something like that. I need some clarity on that, right? And I'm like, and the, the, the court system is actually going to suffer because they won't have those many cases. Do you see how the system was designed to capture people? They're profiting. The whole system is profiting off of your distress. It's dismal, isn't it? And it's time for us to change it. It's not cool anymore. So so for those of us, you might not admit it, but you might have a relative who is incarcerated. You might have a relative who has been into, somebody brought to my attention some time ago, somebody whom they're trying to get out of jail because he's been in there for 20 years. My first question was, well, what did he do? Well, he was in an armed robbery and someone died. And I'm looking at her like, and you seriously think that's something I should attach to? That's something I believe in? I'm like, no. And she's like, but you're a Christian. You should believe. I said, but that was a violent crime. He used a weapon in the commission of a crime. He hurt someone. He needs to stay there. She never came back to me again and asked me to follow up. I said, was it a drug possession? Did he use meth? Or did he use, what did he do? Do you see what I'm saying? We've got to start looking seriously, my friend. Uh, what are we up to? What are we doing? And I ask you to, to consider this. Objectively, between you and I, think about this. If the person used drugs and the person who, who killed someone, it's not the same. That one is violence, one is nonviolent. The nonviolent people, when they come before the court, maybe remind them and set, make it mandatory that they go to a drug treatment facility and report back to the court in 30 or 90 days to show some progress is being made. 
Don't put them in jail. Right? I'm not so sure about people who are drunk. Same thing applies. Suspend their license so they can't drive. Right? That's usually a deterrent. Although, how many people drive on suspended licenses is beyond me. But if they're drunk, and if they're habitual drunks, then have a sliding scale. There probably is. People seem to, I don't know, we're so irresponsible. You, you know you shouldn't be drinking, but you're drinking and driving. You, you, need, you have issues. You need to be, you need to, you really need to. I don't believe that marijuana should be legal. I believe marijuana is intoxicating. I don't believe marijuana should be legal. Why should it be legal? It's a drug, isn't it? Does it make you feel high? Does it make you feel different than you normally would? Then I don't believe you should take it. I don't believe that opioids that are prescribed by a doctor, that people are taking them in adverse amounts and end up killing themselves. Their children are jumping off cliffs and killing themselves. That needs to be regulated. I don't believe marijuana should be legal. It's a drug. Right? I don't believe it. I believe you're going to see more people driving high. (laughs) So it's going to result in more road deaths because if it intoxicates you and makes you feel different than your normal situation is, and they go out and drive, and they speed race and do donuts on freeways, because they're high, and they think they are unconquer- they're unconquerable. They can do anything. I don't believe in intoxicants, anything that makes you inebriated and changes your way of thinking so that you don't function normally. People who drive drunk need discipline. Recently, there was a woman who is a state representative who drove drunk while she was, how do you get, how, how can you be so... So, so irresponsible that you get behind the wheel of a car knowing you're drunk that you could kill others off. It could have been me on the road. It could have been my daughter on the road. Right? But I still think that when people do go to jail, we need to reduce gang warfare in jail. That We need to do a better job. Still manage the prisoners who are in jail. Reduce it. I'm not saying it, prison is not a country club. There is no welcome mat rolled out at the door. But at the same time, it could be a little bit more humane, right? I didn't even get to talk about uh, the royal split and what's going on with with Meghan Markle. I didn't even get to talk about that. Kind of just injected it. So what's going on in Mississippi is that a representative, Benny Thompson, I think he's a Democrat, isn't he? He wrote a letter to the Justice Department asking the Justice Department to uh, look at, at the civil rights look at what's going on in the prisons from a civil rights perspective. Interestingly enough, one of the co-authors to his letter, one of the signers to his letter, is a former federal prosecutor who happens to be Republican. That having locked up people, he's now saying, man, we probably need to take a look at who we really are sending to prison. We can't just send non-violent. And seriously, it's like here in Michigan some years ago, they'd put a kid inside a cell with a violent offender. Jesus, have mercy, Miss Percy. What was that all about? They had to stop that. That was cruel and wicked. That was cruel. A kid inside a cell with a violent offender. Didn't make sense, right? Didn't make sense. We are a society. We are conscious. And we are basically good people. And that's all. We're basically good people. We can think some of these things through, right? I got to go. It's time to go. It's Time to go. <laughs> Seriously, time to go. They're wrapping me up. Right? So make sure you come back and join us again. Stay right there. Don't go anywhere. Uh, the podcast continues later on on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. Go to my page on Anchor FM. Subscribe to this podcast for only 99 cents a month. You can increase our subscription, right? And make sure you continue to follow us on social media. We're on all the social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook, right? Maybe you have maxed out Facebook, but we're on Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter, Snapchat even, if you can believe that, right? Again, the story we talked about this morning was why are inmates in Mississippi prison dying? Well, there are 19,000 inmates, and we have placed the, re- the primary cause for the increase in the prison population, the war on drugs and the three strikes law. In fact, 
uh, between 1983 and 2013, the prison population in Mississippi swelled by 300% because of the three strikes law and the war on drugs, where people who smoked weed or did meth or whatever else people do with drugs ended up being incarcerated and placed in life-threatening situations with violent offenders, people who do the unspeakable things that we can't even talk about that just makes the rest of us uncomfortable, right? If we're going to send people to prison, send the violent people to prison. They need to go sit down, right? Right? They need to go take some time out, more than time out, a lifetime, right? Thanks so much, everybody, for joining me. Our coverage continues. We'll talk some more about these and other matters. Uh, Our previous podcast on Oklahoma's prisons and how the governor of Oklahoma, who is Republican, decided to commute 400 people's sentences. Got to give him a shout out. That podcast is on Apple and Google Podcasts and Spotify, right? Thank you for following me. Thank you so much. Thank you, everybody. Thank you so much. This is Thursday, January 9th. Remember Detroit, Back the Blue Detroit is trending. Back the Blue Detroit is trending. Make sure you give a shout out to our local law enforcement officers Whoever they continue to be, keep us safe, and they still patrol the streets. Where would they need help? We are asking the governor and the mayor to increase the police budget so they can hire more people. And for the love of God, my friends, my brothers and sisters, put the guns down. Yeah, put the guns down. Thank you so much. I haven't had to worry about a mass shooting in a while. Thank you. Makes me feel better. I sleep better at night. Thanks, everybody. Be blessed. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.